We are in week five, week five of our five-week series. This is the end. Today is the last and final of our week. Um, I want to I remind you, you know, in a few minutes we're going to be doing what we call our encounter. And uh, I want to remind you that every day uh, I go to each of these crosses, I reach up as high as I can, and I pray for whoever it is that you have put on that cross. And I hope that as you have walked into this room that you would see that and it would be a trigger for you to, re to remember I need to pray for these people because these are serious requests. These are serious requests. And you and I need to, as part of the church, lift up and pray for one another. So today is going to be our final day. Our message today is called Encounter Our Forgiver. Encounter Our Forgiver. We believe here uh, that the God of heaven is not only a God to be understood, but we also believe that he is also to be experienced. In other words, God's desire is that we would experience him, not just know him, but that we would experience him. And that's not just God's responsibility to make happen either. We have a role. We have a responsibility. And our role is to make time and a place that we would actually pursue God and encounter him. So just because we're concluding the series today doesn't mean you no longer have to encounter God. It is now, it's sort of like priming the pump. And it's sort of like now you realize that when you're in your prayer time, take a few moments and just seek God. Encounter the God of heaven. Give me an amen. amen. That's what we need to do. Well, if you were here last week, you heard me ramble through the end of my message because I had too much material and we ran out of time and all that stuff. And because I was not able to hit all three points of last week's message because of how important it is, especially point number two, I want to give that to you today. I want to do that first part of the message the second part is going to be encounter our healer. So let me begin right now. Um, basically right where I left off. Let me say this again. The purpose of an encounter is something of a progression. The purpose or the reason why we have encounters is for something of a progression that begins within the heart of that person who is encountering God. When we, in just a little bit, when we're done with this message today and you're encountering God here and or wherever you may be when you're encountering God, the, purposes of, the purpose of all of that is that God wants you to move forward. He wants there to be progression within your life that begins within that heart of that person who's encountering God. In other words, God encountering us is not only that we would experience God. No, there's a lot more to it than just simply experiencing God. There's more to it than just that. God encounters us because he wants to change us. He wants to change us. I, I'm far from where I need to be. I've got a long ways to go. But you should have seen me before. And you need to know that God has been changing my life and it's not over yet. He's changing my life as I look at you. I know that you have a past and you have a history. And over the years, as God would encounter you and you would encounter your God, that you would see that there's change that needs to be made. Come on, give me an amen to that as well. <clears throat> so, um, God encounters us because he wants to change us. If you would look at every encounter in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, where God revealed himself to people in very personal ways, where sometimes there would literally be a face-to-face God himself face to face with other ones. I could give you many illustrations, but I'm not going to, again, because of time. But the fact of the matter is, where God revealed himself to people in very special ways, in every encounter, in every place, every time, the same pattern exists. And if God did it that way then, he wants to do it that way now. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. But anyhow, 
God, the three things that God would want to do every time is that God would touch them, God would change them, and God would call them. God would touch them. In other words, he would show himself strong in their life, in their life, especially in times of crisis. That's when God wants to encounter you. The second thing is, is that God would want to change them. In other words, that there's that forward, upward movement to something deeper in God that he wants to take you and I. Deeper. God wants to do something really deep in you, man. And I'm serious. He wants to do something deep in you. Not making you weird, but making you to be all the man that he's called you to be. To be all the woman that he's called you to be. Whatever that is. And thirdly is that God would call them. God would call, call them to accomplish something that he has to be done on this earth. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, where people encountered God, at least two steps God will do. And we covered a little bit of this last week. Let me just quickly go through it again. Number one, God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, and it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah 6 1 tells us of Isaiah's personal encounter face to face with God. And we talked about this last week. He, he saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. The Bible says that, that Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, on the throne in heaven. He saw that with his own, li- his own eyes. I can't imagine. But what we find here is that when Isaiah saw the Lord, for him, God was way bigger than he ever imagined it to be. Imagine God to be. Every time you take a step toward God and you encounter him, God begins revealing himself to you. He wants to prove himself to be strong, to be strong in your life so that you will have hope. You will have hope and you will have faith to get through whatever the trials and difficulties you're going to deal with. We will deal with them. Jesus promises us we're going to have tribulation. We will, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world is what he says after that. So we see that clearly within the scripture. So whenever, whenever, you see, uh, whenever you and I see God, uh, he's way bigger than what we ever imagined. God begins revealing himself to be strong in your life. It usually is a crisis in our life. Some of the darkest hours in our life when God shows up for us. When he shows up and he encounters us. And, I, and, and you and I would then get to that thought process that as a result of this encounter, at this time of my life, in some of the darkest hours of my life, I know that God is real. I know that God is alive and he's going to get me through this thing. Whatever the issue, the crisis may be in your life, when you encounter God, he's, he's encountering you because he wants you to be encouraged. He's going to get you through. He's going to get you to the other side. He will get you there. So um, uh, the second thing, the second thing that God will do for us when we encounter him is that God wants to change you. God wants to change you. This is, this is really what I want to focus on for just a minute here. In Isaiah chapter 6, 5, it says, woe to me. Isaiah says, woe to me. I, I cried, uh, I'm, I, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The second point, God wants to change you. Uh, when, whenever you see how big God is, you will also see how small you are. Whenever you see how big God really is, you're going to see how small you really are. In fact, it's almost like a, it's almost like a stop dead in your tracks kind of a revelation. It's like, uh, in particular, you're, you're saying, Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
It's like, it's, it's a particular area of your life that you know. And when you see God, when you encounter God, when you experience God's presence, all of a sudden you feel, I'm not worthy. And you're not. And I'm not. I'm not worthy. I know me. I know my past. I know I'm really messed up. And I can't believe that you, God, would reveal yourself to me. I can't believe that you would do that for me. Listen, whoever you are with every encounter, God wants to do something in you and not leave you in the condition that you're currently in. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on with you. But whatever it may be, when you encounter God in this place, whether it's through worship, through the word of God today, whatever, however it may be, whenever you experience God that way, it's because God wants to do something that's going to change you. It's going to change you, take you to a different level, especially within that particular issue that you're dealing with. So whether you're an unbeliever, that's right, I said unbeliever. Whether you're an unbeliever or a new believer or a long-time believer, God wants to encounter you. God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants you to have hope and God wants you to have faith. And God wants to change you. The Apostle Paul, not in your notes, but the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.16, he talks about how we as believers go from glory to glory. How we are changed by God. There's a new revelation. We become that new uh, person who's created in Christ Jesus. He does a new work in us. So listen, change is constant. Change is continual. If you're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life on earth, it's what you and I will do throughout, throughout our Christian journey. And that is God wants to change you. There's a new level. There's a new place where God wants to take you. So that you would continue to have even more of an influence and be used by God in even greater ways. God wants to change you and I from that old, selfish, all-about-me lifestyle that every one of us have had. That comes directly from hell itself. God wants to change that within us. He wants to deliver us from that. And then to become followers of Jesus who will lead us, the Bible says, who will lead us to life. In fact, Jesus says, I will lead you to life more abundantly is what he says. So when, he, when he's changing us and he's helping us to get to a new level, to a new place in God, what he does is that, of course, he wants to defeat the works of darkness that is in our lives, the lies, the deceptions that we believe, and he wants to give us life and life more abundantly. God wants to help us to defeat the darkness of our lives, to defeat the sin in and of our lives. Talk about unclean lips. Talk about unclean lips. I am the last person on planet earth that should be able to speak to you right now. Open up this book right here, which is called God's Word, the Bible. I am the last person that should be able to do that. And it's because of my tongue. It's because of who I was before Christ. I, 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 my tongue was so foul. It was so vile. I was mean with my tongue. I would start trouble with my tongue. I would, I would uh, pick on people, mock people. Me and a few other guys that I hung out with all the time. That's who we were. That's what we were, we were known to be. But then Jesus came along. And he changed everything for me. He's changed my whole life. That I have had a privilege now for 30, just about 35 years of my life to be able to present this book right here to people who are interested in the things of God and wanting to know God in a better way. God is so good. And give me an amen if you would, please. Amen. The Christian life is a constant uh, it is a constant progression of change. You can never get to, uh, to your future until you have settled your past. And of course, the devil wants to keep you in your past. He wants you to keep, keep you locked up in where you have failed. 
and what you have done wrong, while God wants you to be defined by what's in your future, with what he would want to do within you and through you with God's help. So the $64,000 question that I'm asking you today is how are, how are we going to deal with our, our past once and for all? How are, how are we going to be able to do that? Well, the, the answer is, uh, the, the reality behind the question is, first, let me say that, because we all struggle. The people that I'm looking at right now in this room, the people who are listening to this message on the podcast, we all struggle. Every one of us struggle. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with habits. We struggle with our attitude. We struggle with greed, with lust. We struggle with our foul tongue. We struggle with all kinds of things. We still have issues. Anyone here in this room that's perfect yet? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. You better put your hand back down. How about anybody in this room still a little bit messed up? Would you hold your hand up? Just Yeah, and all of you who are not lifting your hands up, you're, you're in a lot of trouble right now, too. Okay. <clears throat> The fact of the matter is, we all have our troubles. So what's God's plan? What's God's plan? Every place in Scripture, every place in Scripture, God's plan has been and always will be, always will be, for those issues uh, and for the change that needs to happen within us, God uses relationships. God uses relationships. I say it one last time. God uses relationships. God uses people to help us through to the other side of the issue that we have. And it's just how God works. Yes, the power of the Holy Spirit can speak to us and we would respond. But guess what? Most of us don't respond positively to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes into your life and begins to speak to you. And you realize, wait a minute, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And now I realize. Now I see God is using Someone to help me get through the other side. For us at Word of Life, that means life groups. That means life groups. Our life groups are about to end for this semester in just a couple more weeks. Just about to end. But we're going to have a summer session. We're going to have next fall. We're going to have next spring. Should Jesus tarry, we're going to continue to be doing that. But life groups means get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Life group is not just about the study topic that they're studying together. That's, an, that's a bonus. That's something that we get to do if and how we do that. But the reality behind life groups, it's about getting into a vibrant relationship with other people. It's all about relationships. Our life groups are all about relationships. It's a purposeful progression to lead you and I into a vibrant relationship with the living God. It's just how he does it. It's how God works. He uses people. Don't start shouting out names to me, but as you're thinking, there have been a lot of people, probably beginning with mom and dad, but there's been a lot of people in your life that have spoken into you, that have directed you, a coach, a a, a professor, whoever they may be in your life. And they give you something of, of value and of worth as you continue to move forward. It means life groups to you. Uh, God wants to bring to you a closeness with him uh, more than ever before. He is always looking to do a deep work in you to change you. And God uses other people for that to happen. In the book of James chapter 5, one of my favorite verses. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, therefore confess your sins not to God. Not in this particular statement. Scripture. Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed, is what the Bible says. The relationships that you and I have is because God wants you to find somebody that you would connect to relationally. I'm talking male to male, female to female. I'm talking about something that is whole, something that you could take the mask off and be who you really are. And begin to talk about the things that you really are dealing with. And I suggest that you don't tell that to people who don't like you. <laughs> I suggest that you talk to people who love you. Begin to talk to them that way. And as your pastor, I certainly love you, but I don't have the time or the ability or the smarts to deal with all of your problems. So you need to talk with your life group. You need to talk with those in your life group. You and I, you need to get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. And that pretty much ends the encounter, our purpose that I wasn't able to do this week, this last week. And now I want to conclude our series by the encounter, encounter our forgiver. This is a great story. And in fact, our our, our announcer this morning, um, Andy, was able to share a little bit about this because it's so right on. It is one of the most incredible stories of the forgiveness of God and the grace of God extended. And uh, so let me give you the story first, and then I'll, I'll read it toward the end of the message. Uh, many of you at Word of Life have heard this, but this is most important to me for those of you who have not heard this before. You need to hear this story. In John chapter 8, John chapter 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's early morning, and he's teaching at the temple courts. And like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this pious religious leaders, these religious leaders show up and they throw this woman in the middle of the crowd where Jesus is teaching. Throw this woman in the middle of the crowd and announce this to Jesus. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now stop just for a moment. I think we're all smart enough in this room. We would understand that this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, um, this woman was just deep into intimacy with some man who was not her husband, obviously. And now she lays on the dirt ground, on the dirt walkway, surrounded by religious leaders who are angry and who are loud. And there's some people who say the Bible's boring. <laughs> yeah, right. There's some pretty crazy stories in the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to get in a group and you need to read the Bible. Those are your two lessons for today. For those of us who know this story, for those of us who know where it's going, uh, this forced encounter with Jesus, this thing that this woman wasn't planning on that day, and now she's in front of Jesus, this forced encounter of Jesus, it causes many of us to have a great empathy for this woman. But first things first. First things first. I need you to understand that these religious men who are doing what they're doing, they're actually justified legally and lawfully. They're doing what needs to be done. In other words, if you look into the, into the Old Testament, according to the law, the Ten Commandments, commandment number seven, and it says, you shall not commit adultery. And if you do, legally, legally, you could be executed for that sin and whoever that person who was with you. Legally, that would happen to you. And you need to understand that these men are justified lawfully and legally according to the law. But John tells us, John gives us insight into this story that is just incredible and extremely important to the message. John tells uh, all of us that the motive of these religious guys was not at all about the law. They didn't care about the law. The only thing that they really wanted to do was to trap Jesus. They wanted to somehow or another get Jesus to say the wrong thing so that they can bring charges up against him and ultimately kill him is what they want to do. So these religious leaders bark out at Jesus and they say to him, so what do you say? So what do you say? What I just love right here, what pumps 
me up about Jesus. I love Jesus. I love what he says. Get this. The Bible says that Jesus just squats down on the ground and he takes his finger and he begins writing. He begins writing in the sand and the dirt. It's almost like Jesus doesn't even hear these religious guys. It's almost like Jesus doesn't even know that there's a woman right behind him who was just caught in the very act of adultery. But what I love most above all of this, I love this. Uh, it shouts loud and clear to me. It proves Jesus' sovereignty. It proves Jesus' sovereignty. That Jesus is truly supreme. That Jesus is in charge. Because he is the King of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Come on, give me an amen to that. <clears throat> so picture, picture the scene with me if you would. Jesus is temp, uh, uh, teaching at the temple. Some religious leaders come. They've caught a woman in the very act of adultery. How did they do that? How did they know any of that? How did this happen? Well, anyhow, uh, they caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And then they look at Jesus and they say, so what do you say? So what do you say, Jesus? And I want you to know, as you read the scripture, I'm going to read it to you in a moment. As, as, as you see through the scriptures, I want you to know, Jesus is not stressed. Jesus is not anxious. But Jesus is large and in charge. Jesus is large and in charge. Let that settle deep within your soul, within your heart, for your life. The religious guys, they, they, don't, they, don't, uh, they don't bother him. His heart isn't anxious over this. Jesus is not upset with the woman or her sin. He's not looking at her going something like this. He's not doing any of that stuff. And that's exactly what Jesus, that's exactly how Jesus is regarding you and me and our sin. When you and I sin, it's not Jesus going, hmm, you know, it's not none of that at all. Jesus is not worried or anxious about our sin, our failures either. He really isn't. Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't lose it. Oh my God, what's taking place here? Where are these people coming from? What do you mean? Adultery? Adultery? Lady, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Is this what you've done with your life? None of that. Jesus has done none of that. None of that is recorded. Jesus doesn't do any of that at all. Actually, Jesus is pretty chilled right here. And the Bible tells us that one more time after they say that, he, he crouches down and he, he uh, uh, begins to write in the sand one more time. Writing in the sand. Let me give thought to that. Of course, there's all sorts of conjecture. There's all kinds of guesses as to what Jesus is writing in the dirt, writing in the sand. But my personal opinion, and I really do believe this, I really feel this way. And that is, is that I personally think that Jesus wrote the names of these religious men and wrote down their secret sin next to their name. He wrote their name, Jim C. Randy B. <laughs> uh, uh, and then wrote the sin right next to it, what, whatever that may be. In other words, here's this guy. He's standing there. He's got a rock in his hand. He's ready to chuck it at this woman caught in the very act of adultery. And he looks down and he sees his name on the ground. And he sees the secret sin of his life. That you, now, th this is all conjecture. This is not what the Bible tells us. But he wrote something. He wrote something there. And you'll understand why I'm saying that as I go a little bit further. The fact is... The fact of this point is, is that Jesus is in control. Jesus understood his mission, his purpose here on earth. And that is, is that Jesus came into this world to pay 100%. Pay 100% the price 
for all of our sin, for my sin and for your sin. Would you give the Lord a round of applause for his goodness toward us? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This may shock some of you, but your sin and my sin doesn't cause any alarm with Jesus at all. It doesn't cause him alarm. It doesn't scare Jesus. Actually, he's not worried about your sin either. He's not worried about it because Jesus knows that he's the answer. Jesus knows that he's the answer to every need that we would ever have in our life. So John gives us some incredible details in his gospel. So Jesus, at this point, he rises and he says, okay, guys, you're right. You're the legal experts here. Go ahead, stone him. Go ahead and stone him. But before you do, here's one thing I want to say to each of you. If you have never sinned, if you have never done anything wrong in your life, go ahead. Go ahead. You be the first to throw that stone at him. Help yourself, guys. Do what needs to be done. And Jesus squats back down on the ground again and writes whatever it is he's writing. Incredibly, the Bible tells us incredibly, one by one, each of these Pharisees and religious leaders, they begin to drop stones. The Bible says from the oldest down to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones and walk away. Isn't that incredible? It is. We love you, Lord. Can I tell you that when you encounter Jesus the forgiver, that's exactly what he does. He forgives us. He forgives us. And I speak against the lies of hell that have held you bound to your sin, whatever that sin has been, telling you that you aren't worthy, that his death on the cross didn't pay for that sin that you did. Those are lies. It's deception. It's exactly what Jesus would do. He comes to forgive us of our sins. Oh, I get it. I get it. You may think that Jesus is really mad at you right now. I understand that. I've been there many, many, many times. And I understand, too, that the devil is whispering these lies from hell, saying how disgusted and fed up God is with you. You told him 20 times you weren't going to do this. And look at you now. You did it 21. I understand that. I've heard it all. I've, I've believed that for a while. But that's not what the Bible says. He is not mad. There's not an indication of that at all in this story. He's not mad with this woman. He's not disgusted with her. He's not upset about anything. After a few minutes, Jesus stood up to his feet and he asked the lady, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. No one condemned me. Let me read it to you now in John uh, John chapter 8. I'm going to read out of the contemporary English version. Uh, beginning with verse 1. But Jesus walked out to the Mount of Olives. Then early the next morning, he went to the temple. The people came to him, and he sat down and started started teaching them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses brought in a woman who had been caught in bed with a man who wasn't her husband. They made her stand in the middle of the crowd, and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught sleeping with a man who isn't her husband. The law of Moses Uh, teaches that a woman like this should be stoned to death. What do you say? Then Jesus asked a question. uh, Excuse me. Then uh, they asked asked Jesus this question because they wanted to test him and bring some charge against him. But Jesus simply bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. 
They kept asking Jesus about this woman. Finally, he stood up and he said, if any of you have never sinned, then go ahead and throw the first stone at her. Once again, he bent over and began writing on the ground. The people left one by one, beginning with the oldest. Finally, Jesus and the woman were alone. Jesus stood up and asked her, where is everyone? Isn't there anyone left to accuse you? No, sir, she said, she answered. Then he told, Jesus told her, I'm not going to accuse you either. You may go now and don't sin anymore. Point number one. Point number one, two things I want to share with you about this story. Number one, Jesus isn't condemning. Jesus isn't condemning. In the NIV, the New King James Version, it says these words. It says, neither do I condemn you. I know the, the CEV uh, it talks about, uh, it says a different word there. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Here's the reason that Jesus isn't condemning. Because it doesn't shock him. Sin doesn't shock Jesus. Jesus understands sinners sin. He understands that. Jesus understands sinners sin. It's what sinners do. Honestly, uh, Jesus um, expects sinners to sin. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. It's not that deep to understand. He understands how we are. We are sinners who have, thank God, have been saved by grace. But we still have issues. We still have problems. And Jesus understands that. So for the person who feels that whatever sin they've done, they're unforgivable, it's unforgivable, you're wrong. He will forgive you. And for the believer, for the believer who has sinned, and for you, how, you and I, however it is that we have fallen and made a mistake, whatever those things are, we have to understand that Jesus understands us. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't point a finger. He's not screaming. He's not pacing the floors of heaven trying to figure out what to do with us. Us wicked sinners that are here. It really isn't complicated. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Why? Because Jesus is not condemning. He just is not condemning. Uh, I, I, we all love John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to die for us. We love that. But what I love even a little bit more at times, especially in my weaknesses, is verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God does not, he is not a condemning God. This is true theology 101. God did not, God did not, God did not send his son to condemn us, but to save each and every one of us. Give me an amen if you would. Number one. Jesus isn't condemning. The second thing about Jesus is our forgiver. Number two is Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says he was moved with compassion. In Matthew's gospel and in uh, Mark's gospel, seven times the, that word is said that he was moved with compassion, moved with compassion. So this woman is literally thrown at the feet of Jesus, caught in the very act of adultery. Do you understand that the only emotion that Jesus was dealing with felt for this particular woman? He felt compassion toward her. He wasn't angry with her. He wasn't cursing and swearing because of another mistake she's made. He was moved with compassion, the Bible says. Jesus wasn't angry, disgusted. He felt love and compassion for her. That's why Jesus did what he did. Even though the religious leaders were trying to trap him and to get him so he would do and say the wrong thing. The Bible says that she was caught in the very act, the very act. And even at this moment here, that means for this woman right now, at any moment, this will be the very last event of her life. 
She will not see her husband again because she's going to die. He's going to lose his wife without being able to even hear her side of the story of what possibly took place that day. And if she has kids, we don't know if she does. <coughs> but if she has kids, she will not see her kids before she's killed. And it's going to be the last thing that her kids will remember about this, this mother. Think about the shame. Think about the fear and the regret that she had in these moments, these final moments of her life. But Jesus isn't condemning. And Jesus isn't compromising. But the very action that he took, that he took with these religious leaders, tells us loud and clear that Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion toward a sinner. And why would he not be that way with you? Why would he be with, that way with her, but not with all of us? He will, and it's a lie from the enemy. Again, it's a lie from the enemy that we happen to believe. We believe that. We believe that he is that way. I really, I really don't think it's about uh, getting caught in sin or not. This story that we're reading out of God's word, I don't believe for a moment, not for one second, that this is about somebody who got caught doing something wrong. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is when you meet Jesus, when you meet Jesus, don't tell me what they are, but you're loaded with sin, man, just like I've been. The point of the story is that we're going to get caught in our sin. That's not the point. The point is, is when we meet Jesus. When we meet Jesus, when we meet Jesus, when you come to Jesus, when you experience Jesus, his love and his grace and compassion, when you meet Jesus, he has the power to forgive us of all of our sin, whatever that may be. This was this lady's story as to how it unfolded, but she met Jesus. She met Jesus. She met Jesus. And that sin that was on her was gone. Past present and future if we call on the name of the lord he will forgive us of our sin every single time why we turn to sin is primarily because there's a void in our life there's an emptiness in our life the enemy is going to lie to you he's going to deceive you into thinking premarital sex is the answer drugs and alcohol and porn that's the answer loving money having a lot of money a lot of possessions, a lot of things is the answer. Having power, having prestige, that's the answer. The devil is a liar. Say that with me. The devil is a liar. And Jesus said he's the father of lies. And I say it to you again. The verdict is in. Scores of us have been caught up into premarital sex, drugs and alcohol and porn and the love of money and possessions and fame and all of those things. We've been caught up into that. But every one of us will still say back to you, I'm empty. Without Jesus, I'm empty. But when Jesus comes into my life, he changes it all. And Jesus knows this story with this woman. He knows that Jesus knows I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father except by me, Jesus says. Jesus is everything that your heart long, longs for. Jesus says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light. Jesus came to rescue you, to heal you, and to forgive you. Jesus will satisfy your every longing of your life. He will put you on the right path of life, and he will save you from eternal death. Come on, give me an amen. amen. 
If I could have our guys, uh, people who are going to be uh, doing the offering, please come forward. Let me close with these words before we encounter. Listen to me closely, please. I have a word from the Lord for somebody. Whoever you are today, believer, unbeliever alike, whatever your sin is that you have done, the number one thing you need today, my friend, is you need to encounter Jesus, the, the forgiver. You need to encounter our forgiver. He loves you. He came into this world for you to die on a cross so that you wouldn't suffer eternal death and separation from God. But can I tell you one last thing before we do the encounter? And it's this. This came to me as I was pacing here last night praying for this service today. Again, I don't know who you are, but I know you're a believer. I know you're a believer that God is speaking to right now in this encounter time. God wants you to forgive as you've been forgiven. I want it to sink in, man. Yeah, there's a great benefit that comes our way. But there's a, there's a very high accountability from God that says, as you were forgiven, you need to forgive too. So in the theme of forgiveness, I really feel like the Lord would want to set you free today of unforgiveness so that you can be free of that. Whoever it was that hurt you, that cheated on you, that lied to you, that has used you, it's time in this encounter for you to forgive them. How we're going to begin this encounter, we're going to begin by coming down and bringing our tithes to the Lord. We haven't done that yet. We're going to put it in these two buckets. And uh, when we're done with that, you can go to different locations. You can have yourself your own communion time, if you'd like, on either side of the altar. You can go to the cross with prayer requests, with whatever you need prayer for. Intercessors, if you'd please make your way down front, please. Our intercessors are going to stand along the front here ready to pray for anybody who would like prayer for anything. You do not need to be a member in order to get prayer here at Word of Life. We would be honored to pray for you. And we're going to challenge you to do that. The worship team is going to be leading us in a song. You can be participating in the song, standing up, sitting down, hands raised, sit quietly, however you want it to be. But please don't leave yet. This is a very, very, very important moment of, of our service today. We're not quite done. We're almost done. We want you to encounter God yourself. So as they begin this worship song, would you feel free to get up and come on down and let's give our tithes.